Good morning. If you have your Bibles, would you meet me in Matthew chapter 14? The gospel according to Matthew chapter 14 is where we will be this morning. And while you're turning there, allow me to briefly give thanks for this wonderful opportunity to share in God's word with you, my brothers and sisters in the faith. And thank you to the pastors of this church, Daniel and Aaron and Timothy, for giving me this great privilege. I'm truly grateful. If this is your first time at our church or this is your first time at church in general, we're glad you're here. And uh, we trust that God will meet you and do amazing things in your life. So Matthew chapter 14, we'll be starting in verse 22. If you don't have a Bible, you can find it in your bulletin or on the screen behind me. I'd like to invite you to stand with me as we dive into the word together. In this story, we see Jesus and his disciples interacting over a storm. How do you respond when the storms of life come? How do you respond when trouble comes your way? These followers of Jesus, they interacted in various ways in response. And it's that question, that tension, that I would love for us to explore together as we approach this passage. The word of God is this. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the, on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. What is happening? He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me! Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, 
you are the son of God. The very words of our God. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the great privilege to know you and to serve you. Lord, I pray that as I speak to the ear, you would speak to the heart and transform lives. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you. Oh, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. When I think of storms, I think of Horatio Spafford. Horatio was a man that was born in the early 1800s, and he grew up in Chicago and grew up to be a successful lawyer. Life was well and good for Horatio until a storm hit. In 1871, Horatio had invested heavily in some real estate along the shores of Lake Michigan, and the Great Chicago Fire destroyed all of it, all of his investments gone. This took a toll on the family, and they wanted to get some relief, so they went on a, decided to go on a getaway. They wanted to meet up with the great D.L. Moody in a revival that was happening in England, so they were going to take a trip over there. But before they were able to leave for their trip, some business came up that Horatio had to deal with. And so he didn't want to stop the trip, so he sent his family, his wife and four daughters, on ahead, and he said he would meet up with them later. So they left and sailed the Atlantic Ocean. Some time passed, and Horatio was back in Chicago and received a message, a telegram that simply read, Saved alone, what shall I do? It turns out that the ship that Horatio's wife and four daughters was on crashed into another ship, sinking both ships in minutes, killing hundreds. All four of Horatio's daughters were among the many that did not make it from the crash. His wife was saved, was brought to England, and sent back a telegram saying, saved alone, what shall I do? When he received this news, he uh, left Chicago to be reunited with his grieving, bereaved wife and again sailed across the Atlantic Ocean. When he was on this ship, the captain called him to the deck and told him that to his best estimation, that at that moment they were sailing over the place where the crash happened, that they were sailing over the place where all four of Horatio's daughters didn't make it. Upon reflecting on this, Horatio later wrote about this. What do you think Horatio said when he put the pen to the paper? What do you think he wrote? Do you think he wrote about how angry he was at God for allowing such a thing to happen? Do you think he wrote about how miserable and pitiful his life was? No. When Horatio put the pen to the paper, he wrote a song. He wrote a hymn. He wrote these words, When peace like a river attendeth my way, 
when sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. How could he say something like that? He lost so much. He lost his investments. He lost all four of his daughters. Later, he lost his son to scarlet fever. How could he say that? He lost so much, but he didn't lose sight of his God. He didn't lose sight of who God is in the midst of storms. How would you respond in a situation like that? How do you respond when the storms of life come. As we approach our text for this morning, we see the disciples dealing with the storm. They just got off the heels of this incredible miracle of feeding thousands. And they go on ahead across the Sea of Galilee, and the text says they're dealing with a storm. Can you picture them? It's the middle of the night and they're trying to survive. Can you picture them tying the ropes, making sure the ropes are secure? Can you you see them scooping the water out of the boat to make sure the boat doesn't sink? They're trying to do all they can and the text says they're dealing with some fear. Now that's natural, right? Like, you know, people have died at sea before. Ships have gone down on this very sea. Catastrophe has hit before on this very sea before. Surely it's the right response to feel fear. But what's interesting about these men, these men were, many of them were were fishermen. So surely they know how to maintain in a storm. But what's really interesting about these men, these fishermen, these disciples, they know Jesus. They know Jesus. They love Jesus. Surely they know that Jesus is greater than the storm. Surely they know that he has great power over the storm. I mean, just in chapter 8, he he was in a storm with them again, and he was asleep and, and woke up, said, peace be still, and that was the end of it. Surely they can remember that. But I'm sure many of you can attest to the reality that sometimes when you're going through a storm, you can forget who God is. Sometimes we can forget that the same God that was with us in the last storm is the same God that's with us in this storm. The same God that was with us when we needed healing in our body is the same God that's with us when we need our bills paid. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, but sometimes we can forget. But an interesting issue with these disciples, with this storm, is that Jesus is the reason that they're in the storm to begin with. Did you notice that in verse 22? It says, he made them get into the boat and go to the other side. Question, what do you do when walking in obedience to God leads you into a storm? What did I do wrong? Have you ever asked something like that? What did I do wrong to end up in this tempestuous situation? I I heard the voice of God. I obeyed him without questioning. How in the world did I end up in this crisis? But walking in obedience to God does not exempt us from storms. Can you imagine how the disciples might have felt? Like we're on this sea because Jesus told us to get on here. Why in the world would he allow us to go through this? And many of you might be feeling something similar. 
I'm living my life according to the word as best I can. I'm living my life according to the scriptures. Why in the world am I going through this? Why am I having so much trouble in my marriage? Why am I having so much trouble at school? Why in the world are my kids driving me crazy? Why in the world am I experiencing betrayal with friends and family? Why? 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 James would say, it's the testing of your faith to produce steadfastness, perseverance. Peter would say, it's the testing of your faith to produce a genuineness that is more precious than gold. It's for your faith. But how will you respond? Will you respond in faith or will you respond in fear? And faith and fear are very interesting in that they both believe something that hasn't happened yet. Very similar in that way. Just faith believes the best that can happen while fear believes the worst that can happen. So, so it's possible that this thing might destroy you. But it's also possible that all things work together for the good to those that love God and to those that are called according to his purpose, as Romans 8.28 says. It's, it's possible that, that your needs will never be met. But it's also possible that my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, as Philippians 4.19 says. Neither thing has happened yet, but faith believes the best that can happen while fear believes the worst. When we get to verse 26, we see that the disciples are experiencing fear. They see Jesus coming to them on the water and they say, it is a ghost! Now, that's a natural response. Right? I don't know how many of you have seen somebody walking on water. I haven't. If I saw somebody, I would freak out a little bit myself. And on top of that, if you were to die at sea, you weren't able to be buried according to Greco-Roman customs. So it was believed that your soul would just wander at sea. So many fishermen had ghost stories. So the disciples are responding in this way. Sometimes storms can Keep us from seeing God accurately. But Jesus responds back and says, Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. What I really like about that is the it is I. The New Testament was originally written in a language called Greek. And in the original language, it's this phrase, ego eimi, which could be better translated, I am. Jesus says, do not be afraid, I am. There are some serious theological implications for I am. For a Jew to hear that, he could think back to Exodus chapter 3 when Moses was speaking to the Lord through the burning bush and says to the Lord, what am I supposed to tell them who sent me? And the Lord says, tell them I am has sent you. He could think back to where the Lord says, I am Jehovah Jireh, your provider. I am Jehovah Rapha, your healer. But we have the benefit that these disciples don't have and that we have the gospel. So we see where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection of the life. Do not be afraid. I am the very nature of God, 
should be enough to drive out any fear. If he never does another thing for us, who he is should be enough to drive out the fear. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Who shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? I wish I had a cross-cultural church that wouldn't mind saying amen, praise the Lord, or something right there that when you look back over your life, you can see that the Lord was a bridge over troubled waters. There you go. But the struggle in that, the struggle is Jesus, he's expressing I am means presence in the midst of a storm. Can can that be? When I'm going through the storm, can, can God's presence really coexist? you know what I'm going through? Throughout the Bible, it's replete with examples that God actually moves towards us in the storm. The ultimate expression of that is the cross. Jesus and Isaiah is called the man of sorrows, the man of suffering, that he identified with the ultimate expression of suffering. That the cross is a symbol that proclaims, I am in the midst of the storm. Do not be afraid. I am. We get to verse 28 and things get really weird. I I don't know what's going on in Peter's mind. I don't know if you have a friend like this that just says off the wall stuff. I don't know what's going on with Peter. But Peter responds back to Jesus and says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. What is happening? And then Jesus says, come on. Like, what is going on? And Peter actually walks on the water. Right, This isn't liquid sidewalk. The waves are going. The wind is going. And Peter actually goes to Jesus on the water. It's amazing what you can do when you focus on the Lord. But what happens in verse 30? In verse 30, he starts to notice how strong the winds are. he starts to notice how, how wet the waves are under him. He, he takes his eyes off of Jesus. And he starts to think and cries out, Lord, save me. Save you from what? You can swim, can't you? It's the storm. He, he knows that this storm could take him out. And he needs the Lord to step in and save him while he's focusing on the storm. And I have to say here that focusing on our storm does not do anything but sink us deeper into the storm. Many of us, we can't eat, we can't sleep, we're irritable all the time, anxious all the time, snapping on everybody around us. Why? Because we think that focusing on the storm actually helps the situation when really it's just driving us deeper and deeper into the storm. Not realizing that Isaiah says that God keeps him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. Focusing on the storm does not do anything but sink us deeper into the storm. Peter cries out, Lord save me. Now many of us are making the mistake of thinking that we're Peter in this story when really we're the other 11 disciples. (laughs) Yeah, we're not O.E. of little faith, we're O.E. of No faith. It would have never occurred to us to call out in that way. We would have never tried it. We're so consumed by fear of risk, the fear of failure, that we would never have done that. And then we see Peter stepping out, and then he fails and say, that's what he gets. Just stayed in the boat. (laughs) 
At least he had a little faith. At least he was willing to use his little faith to step out and risk for the sake of knowing and seeing God. We also make the mistake of thinking that we're Peter in this story and that we think we would cry out, Lord, save me, when we're going into the storm. When really our first place to go is, money, save me. Connection, save me. Education, save me. Self, save me. And then when we come to the end of ourselves, as we're clinging on to these lesser things, we then see that the Lord has always been there. And Oh, Lord, okay, you're there. Save me. But Peter had the perspective to know that when you're in the storm, the first place you should go is crying out to the Lord. But the core issue with both Peter and the disciples, I think, is in verse 32. In verse 32, it says that Jesus did not stop the storm until he got back in the boat. Why? Why, why, did, he, you know, why did he just hit one of those you know, peace be still moments again? You know, just stop it right there. No, he, he grabbed Peter instead and then waited. Because Jesus was not concerned about the storm that they were in. He was concerned about the storm that was in them. Sometimes we're so consumed in thinking about the storm that is around us when Jesus wants to address the storm that is in us. A writer once said, sometimes God calms the storm. Sometimes he lets the storm rage and calms his child. Sometimes God calms the storm. Sometimes he lets the storm rage and calms his child. What's going on in your life that makes you doubt God's power and his love for you? What is that in your life that's causing you not to trust him? Now, what if that thing doesn't stop? Can you trust him? Can you trust that when you cry out to him that he might choose to grab you and hold on to you and let the storm rage on? I'm the youngest in my family, and I remember when I was growing up, I was learning how to swim. So being the youngest, I was the last one who knew how to swim, and I remember the process of learning, and I remember summer vacations when I was in the learning process. I was not very excited because I, I couldn't swim. One wrong move, and, I, and I'm a goner. So I remember when I was growing up as a kid, we went, uh, it was during summer vacation, we went to the pool, and everybody was having fun, and I was a little insecure because I'm seeing this water, and it's like, I don't know if you will get me or not. Like, I, I, I'm having a hard time enjoying because I can't fully swim yet. And I remember my, my dad, he, he, he jumped into the pool, and, and he looks up at me and says, son, jump into my arms, I've got you. Okay, so then I start calculating right there because the water at, at that moment was, was standing about right here on him. And, and at the time, I stood to about right here. So I didn't like this gap, right? Uh, so I'm like, okay, if you, okay, I need you to catch me because if you don't, it's not going to work out. So I'm, I'm going back and forth trying to decide if I'm going to jump into his arms and whatnot and trying to think if this is a worthy, risky calculation. And as I'm going back and forth trying to decide, my sister runs behind me and pushes me into the pool. Mm, mm, mm. 
And so immediately I go into survival mode, right? So I'm, you know, I'm reaching out my toe, trying to find the floor, the pool. The, the floor is not there. I can't reach it. So, so then I try to look for the wall of the pool to try to hold myself up. The wall is not there. And that's when I realize this is the end of Evan Marbury, right? So I'm splashing, going, oh, God, somebody save me. I'm going to help me. Help me. Just going crazy, splashing all over the place. And my dad, he screams out, Son, son, open your eyes. I got you. I would spend all this time going crazy and splashing, crying out for somebody to save me, not realizing if I would have just opened my eyes, I would have seen that my father was there the whole time holding me, keeping me, and protecting me in this situation I knew could take me out. Some of you, life has pushed you into the deep end. And you know this situation could take you out. And you're splashing, you're going crazy, and you're crying out, not realizing that if you would just open your eyes, you would see that your Heavenly Father is there. And He's holding you, and He's keeping you, and He's protecting you in the midst of this. How do you respond when the storms of life come? How do you respond when trouble comes your way? My prayer for us this morning, that when those moments come, may it be so of us that we would not say, I'm alone, what can I do? But that we would respond, whatever my lot, Lord, you have taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we confess that we do not look to you in storms or in life enough. Lord, would you help us to see that you are our keeper. You are the one protecting us. Lord, give us eyes to see that even in the midst of the storm, truly, you are the Son of God. Help us, give us faith in Jesus' name.